176th episode of We Talk Comics. This one is subtitled, Damned If We Don't. And <laughs> I am, of course, the Crown Prince of Charisma, Mo, and I am joined, as always, by the man I know who has my back, and he's always at my side. It seems like I'm tied to this guy, actually. He has... <laughs> Sorry, I'm making our guest uh, laugh here because there's behind-the-scenes jokes going on here. But he is known as Mr. Brett Podcast, also the chief defender of the faith. How are you doing, Brett? Well, still defending the faith. It was a little harder today, but uh, but we're gonna we're gonna do some defending yeah. today. It's very hard today. <laughs> and and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the man with no nickname, uh, Chris Bestie, he's not with us tonight. But we have we've managed to uh, to, to replace him. Uh, we've 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 upscaled is what we've done here we upsold we upsized we did whatever we we have with us a man an actor and uh you know created television uh for the secret circle is one of his series um he now has a new book out from boom studios called uh oh and all the i can't believe <laughs> damn damn Dead. <laughs> damn it. Death, Death be damned. damned. Death be damned. And I knew it, and it just just hit me and lost it. And it, we're funny because we were talking about my memory earlier. Uh, <laughs> Death be damned from oh, you guys can remember You guys can remember the name of an issue from 30 years ago, but you can't remember one from tonight. <laughs> well, it, it needs to. It really needs to, like, settle for a while. Yeah, <laughs> Short-term memory, no, no, no. Long-term, that's fine. So when Death 30 years Dan is 30 fine. years old, absolutely, yeah. we are going to know this son of a bitch well. <laughs> well, he is one of the co-writers for Death Be Damned from... from uh, from Boom Studios. We remember the studios. We also know the rumor, word on the street has it, from what I understand, that this gentleman is also six foot seven, 310 pounds of pure muscle, 0% body fat. It's frightening, actually. The living embodiment of twisted steel and sex appeal, Andrew Miller. Yeah, I'm, I, I won't deny any of that. <laughs> I won't confirm. There you go. Yeah, they, they don't have a picture of you. So <laughs> yeah, why not? It's, how's that for an introduction? Other than getting the name wrong. Yeah. Oh, I seem so interesting. <laughs> so we have a, a lot of questions. We have a lot to talk to you about. I'm going to let Brett start off the questions in a moment here. But first off, let's just get right to it. The listeners, tell them what the book is and why the hell they should buy it. <laughs> well, the book is called uh, – our, our first issue comes out uh, tomorrow. Um, I believe it's called uh, – uh, Deader than damned, or uh, damned. <laughs> In so, fact, it's or... called Death Be Damned. Um, it's De about... That's it. <laughs> Death Be Damned. Death it's, Be uh... Damned. Our goal is to actually make you forget the title by the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in the Old West. It's about a woman whose family is massacred before her very eyes. She's killed along with them, but then strangely, she wakes up in a in a in a puddle outside her house and uh, is compelled to find the men that killed her husband and daughter and and get revenge. And what she discovers is that she can't die. So as she as she works through this quest and starts off less than successful and gets better and better at it, she's killed, but does ends up coming back every time. Um, but she discovers over the course of the, the book that every time she dies, she loses a piece of herself, memories. And so 
without giving anything away, as she gets closer to her goal, it becomes further from her mind as to why she started to begin with and raises a kind of existential crisis for her. That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy that. <laughs> it's, it, listen, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really fun. We're very proud of it. I did it with these guys, Acker and Blacker, who are very talented um, writers, comic books, and TV. Um, but it, uh, we were, it, it's, to me, it's the kind of thing you can only really explore in comic books because, again, not giving anything, not to give too much away, but it, a lot of it takes place in this netherworld between life and death where we learn how, um, we call it the underneath, but where, uh, the, the, in in the book, there's no life or death so much. It's just a cycle, and that energy kind of works its way through the system over and over again. So she goes to this place where she's being pushed back, um, but it it explores the, these ideas of how we're all connected and how we share we all share from this one kind of pool of energy, and that everything we see and around us ends up going to the same place, and we're a part of it. So. It's interesting when you when you're looking to 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 get revenge on something that's a part of you, how that changes you as a person, and uh, that's those are the the ideas we wanted to explore with this, and it really feels like the only place to do that is in a book. Well, no, it's great because already I have more questions. All right, <laughs> good. <clears throat> so I, I guess the first question that I really wanted to ask is uh, three writers. That just seems crazy to me. Yeah, uh, you know, stupid. most most books, of course, <laughs> just have the one occasionally yeah. too. But I mean, you've gone with three. How does that work in this case? It's kind of like two because they they're so they've worked together so long that they're basically one Ben. Even though there's two of them, um, uh, they they they've been doing Gambit and some Daredevil, and they did a Wolverine special. Um, so they work together as an incredible unit, and I'm really the interloper, but. They um, it came, They wrote a, a, a pilot for – this is a long, boring story, so please just stop me. But uh, I know these guys from Boom because I was doing a TV show, uh, and my office was next to their offices at the 20th lot. So I would just swing by and read comics at their place <laughs> when I had a break because they're really good guys. Um, and and we just talk about the, you know, the stupidest thing, like, like Ross Ritchie – did it? I feel like a two-hour diatribe about uh, the essence of the Superman movies and what was missed and what was got. That was as interesting as anything I've ever heard. But anyway, so we we I wanted to do, to do something with them, and they have this book called The Woods that I was looking at, and and then these other guys, Ben and Ben, were involved potentially with something that they had. Ben and Ben had a, a pilot that they wrote that was very similar to the book that we're doing. And gave it to me, and I said that I didn't think it would make a great ser TV series as it was, but it could be a really cool comic book. And that, and then we we sort of developed it together to change it um, to what Death Be Damned has become. And then the three of us were just kind of stuck together. By then, it was too late to kick anybody out, so <laughs> it, we kind of had to push through. The, the the fun part is that you know with three people. Uh, I'm used to TV writing, so the idea of a group is is normal to me. Um, so when the three of us got together and we broke down 
the the book, like the full book, we're doing four issues. So we broke that down like you would a TV series into episodes. And then even within that, we were like, you know, I'm this is the first comp I've ever written. So I, I had a, a, a steep learning curve, but I just kept I was like, well, these are like act outs in a TV show and, and this is how it would relate in the comic book world. So it was to be able to do that together was, I think, really helpful. And then, you know, we just we all took cracks at scripts and just passed them around. And eventually we learned from each other to make this what it is. But I think as opposed to someone with a singular vision trying to do something fantastic, which is obviously a great model in this one, we were really discovering the essence of the book as we went along, as we developed it, as we broke it down, and as we started writing it. And in that sense, I think it became much more than any of us expected. Then, you know, you bring in an illustrator like Hannah, and then it goes to a whole other level. But it was as collaborative a process as anything I've done. And I think the book really benefits from it. How about a little bit more specifically? Does that uh, do you come up with the plot of the issue, and then they take it and break it down, and 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 come back, and you give it a pass, or how kind of does it work? Just uh, just what's kind of the process there, the creative process? Well, we spent um, like a few days or a week in my office. I have a big whiteboard, and we we were like, all right, this is where it starts, and this is where it ends, basically. So how can we, what do we want to do for, like Boom was very open to how this was going to, they wanted to do a book, but like a, a graphic novel, and they were going to divide it up any way we sort of felt like. And then ultimately, we were able to map out the 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 story of this this book, which ideally is one story among, you know, of many, but we were able to break that into four stories, four issues, and then, and then we had a kind of general idea. We we did a, a, this is all TV tools, but then we we wrote up outlines for each issue, and then from there, sort of assigned them to you know we we each took one, and then from that outline we would break it down into a into a script, and then you know send that around, and everybody would get their fingerprints on it and and then somebody would write it and we so then we just keep, kept passing them around. So at any given time somebody would be writing an issue, somebody would be fixing up the next guy's issue and somebody would be polishing someone else's issue. So you, you always felt like you were steeped in the book. But it, it it's I, listen, I, as far as I know that's how everybody does it because this is my first time. So, so. <laughs> honestly, this is this is it's fascinating to me to listen to you talk about that because that is a process I've heard or seen for for television and but comic books are are I mean comic books can be one guy sit down he can write it he can draw it he can pencil it he can ink it he can color it he can ship it off it only takes one guy so to to actually do a comic book so three guys just to write and then your process is so different than what I I'm used to hearing about I find it interesting and I think there's probably a lot of advantages to it you know, uh, one of the things is often when I hear these guys, uh, they do a book by themselves, I think it's great that they have their vision, but if they their lack of an editor, they kind of sometimes lose the place where an editor's job is simply to focus it and give a, the better story for the reader, and that they can lose that in, in trying to create their own artistic vision. And and for instance, I don't, you don't need an editor. You're, you're edit, three of you there kind of edits each other, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's very much like TV, so... But but yes, I think that I think I'm 
Um, I think I'm super, super smart. There's no question about it. But the reality <laughs> is that I, that I do things like in and six foot seven, three hundred ten pounds. <laughs> I think I'm a lot of things, but I'll I'll often write something and finish it and say, you know, I'm a genius. That is that's un- nobody has written anything better than that. And then invariably, I'll read it and it's awful. So the, the beauty of having these other guys is that it's just this, it's just the checks and balances that I, I find it's, it takes a little bit of the pressure off because you go, you know, I'm going to try this and, and it might be crazy, but see what you guys think. And then, you know, at some point the Ben or Ben will be like, well, I think it is crazy. And the other guy will be like, no, you know, what's kind of cool. What if we just take it in this direction? And I feel like you can, you can do more that way you can do more there are guys obviously like writer illustrators who are brilliant visionaries but in this in for us it just worked out that you go i felt like we constantly pushed each other it's a really weird book that is you know psychological and takes place in the unconscious a lot of the time and is about these very real and weirdly relevant issues that we're dealing with today so it when you're in that kind of a space, I think you need some creative push to 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 execute those ideas, or else it's just lame because you're like, well, you know, the the, st- the story needs to be interesting and the characters need to be interesting. And I feel like I would take a crack at a scene when we were scripting it, and then say, look, you think this is this idea is good, and and then they would add to it, and then you know, Hannah would take it another step. Like I, these like. Uh, See, this is my name problem, but like Matt Kent or Jeff, Lem- Jeff, uh, Lemire? yeah, like those, I-, I can't believe what those guys, like how brilliantly their, what's in their head can g- get onto a page. I don't have those talents. Like I, there's, I can never, I could never draw, I could never actualize anything. So with Hannah, there's a lot of like, could you please, could it be something like this? Like there's the dialogue between the writer and illustrator was something I've never experienced before, but really fun because I felt like I was whispering what my heart wanted and she was able to turn it into art. And that's just thrilling. So how did she come onto the book then? Boom was like, you know, we, who do you guys want to work with? And, and, uh, uh, Ben and Ben had some ideas and um, but then I knew her stuff from Harrow County and and they knew her from you know we all knew her sort of from different things and she just has this haunting like the color she uses or you know there's colors but but the it's there's a haunting ethereal cool but very um, gritty feel to her art that just seemed perfect for this. And we had these two editors at Boom. Again, I've never worked with comic book editors before, so maybe they're all unbelievably great, but these guys are seriously great. And they were like, we just, you know, they, they read the outlines in, in one script and they were like, we just think this is, an, this is a way to execute this vision. And they were totally right. Um, and then she just, you know, grabbed it. That's Hannah Christensen? Yeah. That's just to uh, just to get the full name out there for, right. and and she's uh yeah I mean uh, I noticed one of the things that I noticed we got a preview copy and we had a chance to read it, and uh, I believe the book's called Death Be Damned. <laughs> yeah, that's just awesome. mentioning, but no, it's uh, good title. Just, yeah, you're welcome. 
Oh, you can remember a Spider-Man comic with with with, with uh, we were walking down the street and trips into. Hey, thing. I remember she's Hannah Christensen. <laughs> I remember Hannah Christensen. But but one of the things that, that that struck me about it is that it doesn't open up with dialogue. You mentioned she wakes up in a in a, in a you know puddle and and comic books are a uh, I mean they're a visual medium, but not everybody when they come from television or movies or whatever, and they write for comic books, necessarily gets that. And they, I find that they often tend to overwrite. And you guys don't have really a lot of dialogue here. Really, in the book, it's it's not a whole ton of dialogue, and certainly not at the beginning. You, you're really relying on her as a storyteller. And uh, and I thought that was that, – that's the first thing that struck me about the book. It's like, oh, that's – because to me, that feels like a veteran move. And I know that the other guys – have written some, but you know, you for you yourself, like this is, uh, you know, was this, uh, were you comfortable with that, or like, how does it kind of you talk about the difference between television and comic books? What's kind of t- tell me a little bit more about that, maybe? Maybe that's how the best way to, to, to approach this topic, you know, it's yes. it's that's a really good, it's a really, really good point, and um, it was, I mean, I think part it was a conscious thing to we didn't want a lot of writing. Um, because again, the nature of this, it's, it, we wanted the whole book to have a kind of dreamy quality to it. And then, and then it's so interesting that TV and comic books are, are different because they're both so cinematic to me. Like it's, it's still telling stories with pictures. So it's, they should be more similar. I, I find that TV re of late while it's as good as it's ever been, it's very, very dialogue driven these days. Like it's not quite, there's no time for, for cinematic nuance in TV for the most part, because it's just story that's driving really fast with obviously some exceptions, but, um, and, and this was a re- like a relief to me that like doing, being able to do this, it felt like making a movie, um, where you could say, we don't, we were we were we were still constantly trying to cut out dialogue that we were like, look, if she can get this across, great. Let's not nobody wants bubbles filled with words. Like I, I feel like you can turn a page and see see those dialogue bubbles coming and you know, it's it's like a mountain to climb. And we just wanted it to flow like a dream, like just that it was an easy read that you just kind of get like sucked into this world of Miranda, our, our lead character, and and not have the dialogue get in the way. Now, admittedly, there it was a while there were these scenes coming up that you guys haven't seen, where there's some saloon things and some prostitutes and some bad guys. Where I just can't resist doing jokes and and uh, and trying to make witty banter. So there's a little bit of that, but we really tried to be selective about it and and just let it let it breathe and let it feel like a cinematic experience. One of the things that I was thinking is that you had talked earlier about all the elements that are going into the series. And and so when it came down to issue one, I mean, because there's a lot of things that you talked about where I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. Man, I could have, like, if that was an issue one, would, you know, would that be even better? And and so it's just like, how did you decide then on, on like, which concepts made issue one and then which concepts would be revealed in two, three, and four? Well, again, this is this, you know, in my, my wipey, as, as Ben and Ben call it, my wipey board, um, we really, you know, when you sort of sit back, when you can, if you have enough of the story in your head and you can lay it out on a big board and then sit back and look at it, it, it just makes it easier to say, okay, let's save this, do this. One of the reasons that we can, 
I mean, I hope this works for us, by the way, because it's a, it's a risk. But one of the reasons you cannot, you don't need as much dialogue is because we're not trying to explain things as in, in at a quick pace. So some of these ideas we wanted to fold in slowly. So again, it could just kind of happen rather than having to have some characters saying, do you mean to tell me that blah, 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 blah. And then to get some, especially with this, which where we have a high concept, we were desperate, desperately trying to avoid having somebody walk around saying, oh, this is what this means. And this is that, and this is that. And instead have the room to experience it for her to experience it, Miranda and for us. Um, and then that means holding off, uh, keeping, you know, keeping stuff. We wanted to, Again, it's a it's a narrative risk, but we wanted to have something, an interesting, a, a big, interesting idea anchoring each issue, and and it's tempting to bring it all. Like what happens in TV inevitably is someone says, "I've got a pilot idea, and I've got the season laid out." You know, by the by season two, he's going to kill his wife, and we're going to find out that you know she was a demon. And then inevitably that becomes episode two. Like that's always the case. <laughs> like what? We don't have any more story. Do the demon thing right now. Do the demon thing. People panic. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes like this is, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but when Heroes was came out the series to begin with, I was like, man, those guys are just burning through story. But then at a certain point, it's it's a tough pace to maintain. And then, you know, you 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 run the risk of running out. In this way, we're like we're, we're we were confidently saying we we have a good story here, and we're going to tell it in four issues, and let's just space it out so it feels even and consistent, but surprising. And hopefully, people will like the first issue enough to keep going. And then I think as they do, there'll be something new and interesting for them to enjoy with with each issue. Well, one of the things you know, that uh, oh. oh, go ahead, Brett. Go ahead. One of the things that I find is that, and and maybe this is uh, one of the benefits of comic books, is that you can tell a story and you can tell it, you know, in a tight fashion. Because one of my biggest problems with TV, is, especially American television, is that structure of the amount of episodes. So I mean, it's nice when you can cut it down. If you have ten tight episodes, that's great. If you have twenty-two episodes where you only have eight, you know, 16 tight episodes and six throwaways, then, you know, what's the, then I struggle with that. Whereas oh, I think yeah. with, with comic books, you know, especially in your case of a four issue miniseries, you anticipate four tight issues that form one, you know, good cohesive storyline. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I, no, think, I and just to, to add to that, yeah, just to add to that, because I mean, I do know your series, The Secret Circle, that was 24 episodes, right? Yeah. 22, but it felt like that's a lot of story to have to 22, 22. Okay. So 24, but yeah. So, I mean, that is a, that's an exact perfect example with Brett's talking about that. That's a lot of story to have to tell for one year. Yeah. And believe me, you're not, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. There, there, there's no 22 episode series that doesn't have a lull around episode 16 to 18. It just, it's inevitable because the grind is so, so strong that you you make it through you can divide a season like that into chunks where you say okay let's just do here's nine episodes this is like an arc and then another nine another nine but inevitably 
you're just you make it through there's like a physical thing that happens you start shooting in the fall and you're excited and things are going good and you're catching up and then then and then things start to slow down because now you've run out of scripts and things get tight and then it's christmas and then you're like what am i doing this to tear then you come back and then, <laughs> then those episodes then it's the like 16 17 18 those episodes where you're like what are we doing where am i who is this and it's like kind of a delirium and then you're like ah there's four more to go. Let's just do this, and then a, a series can a season can end really strong. But it's often that like that midway, two thirds of the way through chunk that become hard, and because it's just it's just so much story to tell, and the year is it gets shorter and shorter. But with this, it was insanely exciting to be like again on this whitey board. There's the there's the issue. Like this is the book, right from beginning to end. This is the book. And all we have to do is how to is figure out how to best tell each issue is so much more rewarding because it just never felt like we were spinning our wheels. It just it always felt like, oh, like you're saying, like we have a lot of ideas here and we here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. And we were able to they never ran out. So and we tried to design it where we, you know, I hope it's successful and we can do this for a long, long time. We have the stories to do that. But we also wanted to make a satisfying book where you could just pick this up and say, you know, that was a great read. There's, you know, at the end of this, there's a place for it to go. But it's satisfying in and of itself. And that was important to us. Mo, you had something to say? Yeah. 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 No. Well, well uh, actually, I, I got it in there. But I'll go on to another question. Then, absolutely. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I got, we got a whole bunch of those still. Uh, so the, uh, the, the character, the... There's a character in the book. Uh, he's the Undertaker. Obviously, he's a key character, uh, First Nation character. And uh, I guess his mother. The reference says his mother's tribe, the Zuri tribe. And I don't believe that's a real tribe. Is that correct? It is real tribe. The Zunis, yeah. The oh, Zunis. it is a real tribe. I was I was kind of curious if it is, and kind of what kind of research you went into, into the uh, you know, into the, the topic. I mean, I don't want to give too much away either. You know, you talk about the dead world and the different things here and the un- or the underneath, I guess, as you prefer to. But just kind of wondering what kind of research went into the book, into the era and into the tribe, perhaps, and that type of thing. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's twofold. The, the, one of the themes with the – I'm attracted to this time because it feels like, to me, this is completely inaccurate from a – from a historical and sociological point of view, but in my opinion, um, it feels like I always imagine that there was a time in our in our culture uh, or in our history where we had this choice, where we could have gone in a more uh, spiritual direction or a scientific direction, or like spiritual meaning superstitious or religious or. I, I don't know exactly, but that instead we chose science and technology. And the railroad, to me, feels literally like you're taking science and crushing the earth with it. That you're steamrolling through a country, what was once these, you know, endless plains and driving spikes into it like they're nails. And and then, you know, then the with the railway comes, you know buildings and towns and the necessity for materials and then then you're taking then you're mining and like it's one thing just leads to another and at the core of this is this idea that this is this is the the edge of that battle that nature versus science and 
science is literally crushing nature into the ground. And in our book, this is nature's last gasp. So at its core was this idea of like, if nature was pissed off, what would it do? What would, what, what are nature's tools to stop this or to balance things? And we took that in a horror direction that nature had, you know, has, has terrifying and scary tools at her disposal to, to employ. Um, so then there's, there's that idea. Then on top of that, there was a, a, I don't know if you guys listen to this podcast called Radio Lab, but it's a sort of science-y podcast where they do, but there's a, in, in uh, uh, UBC, there's a professor who has this incredible study of roots. And what they find is in forests, if you go deep enough, the roots of all the trees are connected. And they, they have this incredibly intricate, complex um, food supply chain so that what they find is if there's a, if, if some of the trees or if there's some sort of disease that's spreading through a section of trees, the, the, the roots of the other trees know it and react. So either they block off those trees and kind of let them die or they, they get medicine to them, but they're all incredibly connected um, in a way that we never imagined. So then we took that idea and said, well, what if that were true about everything, not just trees, but that that there was this connective tissue between all of us that when you die, that everything ends up going back to the ground, whether you like it or not. And then once it's in the ground, it becomes it takes on this this other life and gets spread around. So then there was that aspect. And then the the most interesting way to articulate that felt like um, uh you know, some kind of mysticism. And we found with this Zuni tribe that they had a really interesting idea of death and nature that fell very much in line with what we were thinking. And uh, we didn't want to be, certainly not be exploitative or create some, you know, magical Indians of any kind. So we we tried to create a character who was borrowing from, those practices as well as other things to, to create what he ends up doing in the, in the, in the book. So we researched the tribe, we researched the science around it and then kind of, you know, put it into, put our own spin on it. So we weren't, we didn't want to, you know, do the actual rituals that the Zuni tribe does, but we wanted to pay respect to their ideas, which were just really interesting. And and that's the Zuni tribe. I thought it was the Zuri tribe. That's why I thought it wasn't a real tribe. I thought you actually had taken that and and slightly changed it for your, maybe for your narrative. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe, and, maybe there's a, t- a typographical error I should look at. But I <laughs> I, you know what? I, 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 I mean, we got the preview copy, obviously, even, uh, in a PDF version. And I read it on my phone, so it's pretty small. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you are going blind, so it's okay. <laughs> And, on your phone? You know, You're yeah, making well, on the phone? I'm getting old. I'm getting old. It's true. You know, well, they just look at me. You know, it's and that's old. that's actually a, a really good question for you then. I mean, because when you're working on comic books now and, uh, and the Benz, I mean, so many people are starting to migrate over to the technology and reading it on their tablets and their and their phones. I mean, how much does that thought process even go into when you're creating a comic book now? It does, you know, it, but I, it, it does, but not, not in any, 
I find this it's, it's the same on TV. We had this. I'm doing this TV show now, and we had the same discussion, which is someone said, you know, by the way, people or somebody was saying, you know, what do you see this on a big screen? And I was like, yeah. Or what do you see this on a four inch phone? Because I think there's a part of the society that's getting giant, you know, natural LED TVs, and there's a segment of society that will never buy a TV again. And I don't know how you you can't really you, you don't want to start making TV shows for a tiny screen, nor can you rely on people watching it in a, in a huge screen. So similarly with comics, you go, well, it's the same thing. You go like, well, if you're looking on a phone, when, you, I, when, you, when you're reading a comic on a phone, do you, do you like expand the images? Like it's, it's, it's so interesting. Or, you know, with the, the cosmology, tech, the, the technology of it, like it walking you through the, the pages is so weird to me. Because it's cool, but I don't know if that was the intent when they when the artist was drawing those pages. I don't know if it was if it's meant to like, you know, in the most classic sense, these artists can can craft a page where you're that that manipulates your eye into doing incredible things. Like where you turn the page and you see one thing, but you've got to go over there and then you move here, and that that's an experience that comic books that I love so much that you don't get anywhere else because you're, you know, and that's a, it's a talent. Like the, the, the illustrators who can pull that off and, you know, and make you scared and uncertain and, you know, feel heroic or, so I don't know if, if the tablets hurt that or not. I can't, I can't tell. Um, I'm not smart enough to be able to make the judgment call to say, okay, bearing in mind that people are looking this on a tablet in like play mode, let's, do it this or that way. I'm 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 not a smart guy, so I'm I'm interested by the question. I don't have an answer. You're a smart guy. You listen to Radio Lab. We're <laughs> we're we're far too dumb to listen to that. <laughs> and you told us earlier that you are a super smart guy that writes the best stuff. So and I mean, six yeah. foot seven, <laughs> three ten. Yeah, that's true. I, I I'm strong for sure. Yeah. <laughs> how about how about your perspective as um from a perspective of perhaps of when, cause you started off as an actor, you yeah. know, as a, a teenager really. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and is you we, we pride ourselves in at least trying to do a little research. <laughs> as, as you can tell. You start yeah. off though. We Facebook troll everybody. Let me tell Oh, let me tell you. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but you start off, how about the, just as an, the, what you learned as an actor, how does that affect your storytelling in, in both this or even in television, but how can, does any of that translate those experiences just kind of, does that shape the way you, uh, you view a story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think if you're paying attention, every aspect of your life can help you as a writer, you know, but specifically with acting it, um, you know, the acting is so selfish because you your only responsibility is to just be the person you're pretending to be. You don't need to worry you don't really need to worry about story. Uh, some actors are great at that and and are very very smart, but all you really need to do is is understand one aspect of the story, not the music, not the editing, not the directing. You just need to know what that one character is doing. And I find that that training is really helpful when you get into writing and say, okay, beyond we've, 
we've mapped out the story on Andrew's whitey board and we've broken it down into issues and we know what we're going to do. But now when you really now just take a minute to really try to get into Miranda's head as a singular character, why isn't this working or why is this working? I think, I think, I, I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but I like going back to that actor training to say, okay, I'm this character. These are the choices I'm making. Does this make sense or not make sense? Is this more interesting or less interesting? And then I'll allow that to help with the writing of that character and then the story. So I do think that's a, I, to me, that's a big advantage. It's certainly an advantage, you know, when you, you know, when you, it's, it makes it easier to talk to, act, when I'm doing TV, to talk to actors and understand that process. But I think in terms of being able to say, you know, the character wouldn't do that is something actors say all the time. And I don't know that writers say enough. So it's, it's, it's a good place to, it's a good place to start when you're approaching a story of any kind. Another hell of a question, huh? Who asks you questions like that, but we talk comics? <laughs> Let me ask you, huh? You know, the, the, my comic book, my, my geek cred is one of the, uh, this movie I did uh, a long time ago, a Canadian movie that you guys may know, is was called mm -hmm. Cube. Yeah, very uh, familiar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my, uh, my pal Vincenzo Natale, who uh, directed that and wrote and directed that, I saw him the other night, but he, that guy... That guy's a good uh, – his storyboards were like comic books. So it, when we were doing Cube, that was my first – that was like a that was like a comic book movie mashup to me because, you know, it was a bunch of us who were friends who made it. So I had a kind of intimate uh, view of production and, and Vincenzo had storyboarded the, basically the entire movie. But it, it, it played like a comic book and when I – this process with Death Be Damned, I felt like I was going back to storyboards like that, which is like, okay, one panel, one action. What what are you trying to say with this, you know, image? And uh, but it harkened back to my cube days. Yeah, I, I just um, cubed. It's a Canadian cult classic, but I don't know that. Uh... I don't know that everybody is as familiar as they should be in other parts of the world or in America. I mean, you would know probably better than me if they're familiar with it there. But it's certainly, let me tell you, if they may not know that movie directly, but they know movies that movie influenced, like Saw. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or Resident Evil. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. after you buy Death Be Damned on February 8th, go rent, uh, take a look at Cube on, on iTunes. I think you're going to like it. Yeah. So now you've gotten your feet wet with, uh, with Death Be Damned. Now, is there a thought after this to writing something solo? A comic yeah, book, of course. I, yeah, no, I mean, there, I, I've had, this has been the greatest experience and, and feels like a vacation to me because the speed, you know, the, the, the process is so satisfying and, and things move so quickly and in TV, there's a, TV can, can be really fast, faster than you want it to be, but there's also a lot of, developing and waiting around and, and notes. And so I'm hooked. So yeah, I, I want to work with the bands again. I want to do something on my own. Every now people are annoyed because every time I'm approaching a TV thing, I'm like, I think this would be a good comic book. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working on a, on a series version of tremors, the movie. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Nice. And, uh, uh, with Kevin Bacon, is a producer in, in, in it. It like, it's, it's his story 25 years later. Cool. 
But I was like, we got to do a Tremors comic. They're like, what? Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's perfect. Okay. Get, to, get Kevin Bacon to go write it with you, do a little, <laughs> just to get that name recognition on the comic. Yeah, that's, I love this show. That seems yeah. like a lot, like something. Coming that... on the back of the show with him. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's right. <laughs> we'll happily have him on. You know, it'll be fine. I mean, that's the thing. He, I think that, that that's it. Like it's, it's, this is like a, this is honestly a dream come true to me, but I'm sure if I were like, Kevin, you want to help me write the, the, the Tremors comic book? He'd, he'd, he'd do it in a second. That's but cool. then cool. I'm doing this other thing. You guys may know <clears throat> I'm, I'm doing the, going the other way. There's a series of books called kill Shakespeare. Do you know that? Oh, oh we, yes, of we course. Know, we, we know Connor. We, we know oh. Connor and, yeah, very well. Yeah. So I'm working with Connor and Anthony right now. We sold, we sold, uh, we pitched Kill Shakespeare as a TV show and sold it to Amazon. So we're we're just starting to write that this second. That's so oh, awesome. That's, actually, that's we awesome. had uh, talked to Connor and um, Brett. Actually, you talked to him just when he was actually down there with Anthony. Yeah, that's pitching right. it at the time. They were talking about how the they, they people were approaching them because of the inter- Game of Thrones. They were looking for something else that they thought could be a big series like that with a lot of you know characters and cast and. At yeah. the time, and yeah, yeah, and, and we were excited, but we hadn't heard anything for so. Yeah, we yeah we just we just sold that. It's very exciting. Uh, I think we have a really cool pitch. That's the opposite. Like th- those guys have. I mean, they have four books, five now, five. But then there's yeah. another. They have a book coming out next month. Um, uh, that just focuses on Juliet. I think it's called Prelude. Prologue. I have it in my email. Actually, they just uh, they just sent that out. To, uh, let's see here. The boys are making lots of comics for you. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the way they write. Uh, <laughs> uh, past is prologue. Past is prologue. There you go. So that's coming out in. I'll, I'll plug their book too. That pl- past is prologue coming out in March. Um, and uh, but that's the opposite problem because that is not only did they have you know. They they have tons of material from their books, but then we're drawing from Shakespeare. So there's literally hundreds of characters. <laughs> yes. um, so that was that's a process of eliminate. That's really trying to sculpt something down to say, okay, this is the this is the the the, um, the cinematic world universe of Shakespeare, and we need to just start with Iron Man and Hulk for a minute before we <laughs> bring in uh, everyone else. Um, so that that's a, another interesting process. No, I mean they're great guys, and uh, and I wish them all the success in the world because uh, they've what they've what they've done. I find really interesting, and I think that's that's the key is the way that they the their clarity of vision, and I think taking taking it and being willing to just fight for their vision throughout the entire process. Mm-hmm. So now I guess that's that kind of leads up to another question, like with you guys and Boom, like when that came together was like there was no problem with that clarity right it's just it's just you know full boom accepted what you did for the most part with yeah i mean again i i these are the only editors i've ever worked with i found them to be incredibly smart and uh and supportive so they had notes about things you know with with they they mentioned things with regards to the script. I thought they were always really clever and took the issues in a better direction. Um, so despite the fact that we had a, an internal editing process with the three of us, I, these guys, Eric and Cameron, I think they, they still added a lot to the books because of their notes. Um, having said that, 
they they liked the idea initially and um and you know we stuck to it so they've been yeah they've been they've been very supportive and you know and now promoting it and they've been great i like boom yeah i'm i'm always fascinated by the uh, by the process cuz there's so many you know companies available and so many ways to produce a comic book so it's it's one of those big questions like which company do you go with which company is interested and should you try to to just put it out on your own so it's always well, interesting i mean i know i it's so funny my experience with i know guys from different comic companies but mostly from the tv side like i don't know um like i i just know a lot of tv executives at at the comic company so this is kind of the other way for me um but i feel like if if you're Grant Morrison or Steve Niles, you can kind of go to any place and and you know do it. And it, it, the fan, your fan base is so huge, and that people will find the books. In this particular case, that's not true of us, or certainly me. So, Boom is a just felt like very much a partnership where they were like, "You guys, if you give us a good book, we'll get it out there." And we'll take you do your end, and we'll do our end, and let's try to you know get this out to people, um, which is what they've done. I mean, they that that was their promise, and they've really done it. So it's a it's a it's a great place. I I think it's a great place for a lot of different writers, but it's a particularly good for new writers like me because they they just have a lot of their their system is pretty solid, and they can they have a lot of help. Oh, that's great. That's great. Mo, anything else? Oh, yeah, it brings another question, though, because you keep on, you always referring to them as the Benz, and, and when you get pissed off with them, I'm just wondering if you call them the Benz. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's so easy to refer to them, because if you're pissed off, you can say Acker or Blacker, like it, every, <laughs> every, every incarnation of their names is fun to say. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But uh, Acker, Blacker, <laughs> Benz, Ben and Ben, like it's, they're 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 fun in real life, but they're fun to talk about even more. Um, uh, yeah, I was never that mad at them actually. So it never... <laughs> it's it's like a law firm, the law firm of Acker, Blacker, and Miller. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. but it sounds like I'm the guy that came on like 20 years after. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Which pretty much is accurate, isn't it? How long have those two known each other? They've known each other a long time. I don't know if you've ever talked to them, but they—they—they've they, known each other a long time. Those are smart combo guys. They—they—they—I—I uh, they, I learned a ton from them. Um, just paneling and, uh, but they—they—they're uh, fantastic. They're very very smart, funny. They—they're—they're they're very smart guys and and very funny. A lot of their material is funny. And this is by far the darkest thing they've done. So I'm dragging them down to my level. <laughs> um, but they're just really, really smart and great to work with. Well, we'll have to have them on then. I think that sounds like a perfect Yeah, that's you guys would love them. I mean, for one thing, they they're in, they have an encyclopedic knowledge of comic books that's, that's, uh, that might rival yours. So there's <laughs> that. But uh, they're, yeah, you like them. They're good guys. So then, do you plan on going to a lot of conventions? Uh, does your schedule actually allow for that kind of thing, like doing, doing signings, panels, that kind of thing? I, listen, I'm. Uh, this is the greatest thing in the world to me, having written a, a comic book. So I'll I'll do as many panels or or, <laughs> or conventions as will have me. Um, uh, you know, my dream is to get this Tremors thing off the ground and go as go with a comic book and a TV show, but. 
yeah, I'll do. Yes, our, our plan. We, we that we the three of us are insanely excited about this and and want to promote it. And I hope people will like it. But at, we want to give people a chance to like it. So we're gonna do everything we can to to get it out there to people. Hence why you're here. <laughs> yeah, hence why I'm here. And uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And why I'll be tweeting up a storm tomorrow. But <laughs> well, that's fine. We're more than happy to have you on. Well, thank you. This and, has been amazing. Know, we didn't even talk about Swamp Thing. Great and- well, what is your favorite <laughs> issue of Swamp Thing? Then? No, don't start with that. <laughs> no, I was just—I was going to ask if what characters you wanted to write then, like like what characters exist, what what comic book, what's your dream comic book to take over and do a story arc on? That's such a good Swamp Thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can never. No, I can never. That—that's the thing. Like, I don't know how. I—I I don't know how these guys. I don't know how you like. Oh, I'll I'll take over the Alan Moore. Like it's it's it seems hard to me. Those big books in particular, it's gutsy. Those guys are like, yeah, I'll take Batman for a spin. Like I don't know how you, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it's so funny. I would have said. I think one of you were say, was saying Golden Age Sandman that I also really like. Yep, I love Golden Age Sandman. Um, uh, I wanted to do this. Is this is this was. I had this weird flash of uh, Ragman. Oh, all right. Uh, wow, Ragman. I I just had this. I had this weird origin story idea for him that I thought was, you know, slightly different than some of the origin stories for Ragman. And and I I liked I liked the idea like this. I like weird things, so I liked the idea of, you know, bad souls driving you and changing you, which ultimately is very similar to Death Be Damned in the sense that it's, I like the idea of people's actions turning them into something that they're not, or, um, so there was something about Ragman that, uh, appealed to me in that way, and I, I, I could do that for, I could, I, I could take Ragman first, then. I think that would be good. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Ragman's one of those characters, uh, we're gonna wrap it up in a second, but I just want to say, Ragman's one of those characters who's, who's really cool, got a great look and really cool powers, and 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 it's something about it. It's it's difficult to see it. It's not something where you go, okay, I can see a hundred issue run on that. It's just <laughs> you give a great graphic novel. You give a great, great, uh, you know, uh, mini series. It's one of those things that 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 needs to be told every now and then. A great Ragman story, but it's not something. It's got it's got its place and it's just cool. And and us fans of Ragman, the story. So uh, DC, uh, you know, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> If, if DC is listening, no, but it's true. But again, that's it's another also very relevant. I think Ragman is very relevant to today. Like the idea, it's again like we live in weird times, and and we are you know both fueled by anger and and destroyed by it. And I think that's Ragman has a lot of potential as a character. I think to explore very contemporary issues. There are a lot of this is why we all like these things, but there are a lot of characters that were created a long time ago that feel like they pop up in cycles to say like, oh yeah, it's really relevant now. And even though they were created in the 50s and 60s and 70s, so it's, but Ragman is one of those guys where I think you go, I bet you could do a very contemporary story that feels relevant. And, but you know, you know what else? I, I can't believe I didn't say this because this is how I sort of started with the Benz is, is, uh, I, desperately wanted to do alpha flight oh sweet oh wow wow <laughs> yeah yeah because that's my other passion which is like 
sub characters trying to, you know, trying to be heroic in the shadow of of X Men or you know other characters. But Alpha Flight, like original Alpha Flight, is the greatest to me because of that. Which is because I feel as though there's you know you can like superhero comics because you feel like a superhero, or you can like superhero comics because you feel like you could aspire to something. And Alpha Flight is just that, was that when I was a kid and later, like that sweet spot to me of, I know we're not the X-Men, but we're trying really hard and we can make a difference. And it's, uh, yeah, I like it. So that's like Canada in general, Canada and the States. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some, exactly. Well, never about that. And it's, well, it's allowed it, because you are, you have your Canadian credit. So, you know, you're okay to yeah. write a, write an alpha flight book it, it always and seems fact, weird when an american goes out to you know and and writes alpha but, flight but yeah but it's, exactly. it's a little strange though because you you're you say toronto bred and born and now lived in america for 20 years and now you're back in toronto to uh, to do some work and uh we're not sure if you're going to be allowed back in the country you know are you sure <laughs> are we 100 percent positive you're going to be able to, trump's going to let you back in i don't know that we can guarantee that yeah, you know, it's it's. I haven't been back. Oh yeah, I haven't been. I was there just before the that, and then, well, if not, I'll see you guys in Calgary. Just, <laughs> All right, you can awesome. come. We can have poutine together. <laughs> it's I'd love kind it. of a ritual for us. You know, I'd love it. I'd love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Andrew. And and uh, we have a a little tradition. I don't know if you're familiar with it, actually. I know you've listened to some of our episodes, and you should probably listen to all of them. There's only a couple hundred or so. Don't yes. <laughs> take any but, time at all. No. <laughs> Just like 400 hours. <laughs> a little segment. What he's talking about is a little segment called Plug Your Shit. <laughs> um, that's, that's easy. Plug, uh, Death Be Damned comes out tomorrow. February 8th, uh, please buy a, buy a hard copy for, for, uh, for your shelves or a, a digital copy for your phone. But uh, please take a look. I think you'll like it. <laughs> All right. Andrew Miller, the book is Death Be Damned from Boom Studios. We, we liked it a lot. Uh, we thank you for coming on to talk about it. We do hope that everybody buys it, and we wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Great meeting you guys. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. It was Thank awesome. You. Bye-bye. Bye now.